Welcome to another episode of Service Tension. My name is Grant. My name is Sherrod. This is the podcast where we explore ideas and liquid rockets that we encounter. Today, we've brought in Ian Brown and Bart Vielgos, the two founders of UIUC's Liquid Rocket Initiative, an organization dedicated to building a functioning liquid rocket at U of I. They're both seniors. Graduation's coming up in a little bit less than a week at this point, and we're all going to be headed out of here. It sounds like they're working on some last-minute alterations, soldering late nights, <laughs> getting some liquid nitrogen this morning. With that, we'll let them introduce themselves, and then we'll kick the show off. Welcome to the show. All right. Thanks for having us. My name is Bart. I'm a senior in aerospace, about to graduate. I'm a half aerospace major. Uh, I would say half mechy, unofficial mechy major. I'm Polish. I started off with rockets like six years ago in my garage, working on some small motors, sugar and potassium nitrate. Mm. And ever since, I've kind of like been growing up to the real stuff, the big toys. So Nice. Yeah, my name's Ian. Co-founded this project with Bart. My story is a little bit different. I, was, I came to UIUC. I was studying physics, and I started following what SpaceX was doing and got really excited about it. And so kind of got involved with the rocketry community here, met Bart. Some things happened, and we ended up founding Liquid Rocket Initiative. And uh, Yeah, working on, working on the real stuff. How does one get involved in the rocketry community here? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, so I basically... I knew about this club called Student Space Systems. They don't they don't really exist anymore, but I I found out about them when I was a freshman. I didn't join, but I knew they existed. And then sophomore year came, pandemic came. I had a whole bunch of time on my hands. I was just like I want to do work on a cool project, and so I reached back out to those folks, and yeah, I I joined them and kind of learned the basics about how to build a rocket engine and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, like there's like a whole bunch of clubs around around campus. I think there are three clubs that are doing rocketry stuff right now. There's Thrust, which is kind of the successor club to Student Space Systems, the Illinois Space Society, they've been around for years, and then us. They all kind of we all kind of have different objectives, but mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of people who are working on on these kinds of things around campus. And so yeah, you just got to find one of them and then, and then join. And that's where, where all the rocket enthusiasts are. <laughs> awesome. I think we'll get into it maybe a little bit later, but I know you guys mentioned on your blog how some of your goals are complementary. And you guys are pretty excited about where the future of U of, U of I's space program is going and kind of how those rocket clubs are going to be working together. Um, but for now, I think let's go into why liquid fuel versus solid fuel. What is the liquid rocket initiative? Why liquid? In that case, yeah. So I think we uh, we so there, there are those three clubs, and we differentiate ourselves because of that liquid and liquid rocket initiative. So there are three types of uh, engines that you know rocket motors that you can make. So there are solid grain, solid propellant grain motors. There's hybrids, and there's liquid. And hybrids mm. are a mix of like liquids and high solids. Mm. So uh, solids uh, tend to be more like off the shelf. You could buy them, mm. um, and they're sort of like plug and play, I would say. Uh, and liquids are are the main sort of type of technology used in industry right now. So mm. Roland 1Ds run on liquid oxygen and kerosene. Has uh, that changed throughout time? Uh, it, start it started with liquids. I believe the V2s ran on, was it probably a propellant combination? Yeah. So like the first ever rocket that the Germans made <laughs> back in the war was, I forgot what the propellant combination was, but I believe it was a it was a liquid-liquid. But it was like that since the beginning, mostly. Uh, th- there are many different kinds of propellant combinations that you can use. And uh, NASA, in like the first 10, 20 years, was was working with mostly liquids. I mean, they have mm. like solid boosters that they throw on certain kinds of rockets, and their ICBMs are made out of solids mm. because they're reliable. But liquids are far more efficient 
Mm. And they're also throttleable. So you can turn them on, turn them off if needed. So generally, like most of the launch vehicles right now in industry use liquids. liquids. Mm. Yeah. I think the main advantage with liquids, like you mentioned, is that they're they're more controllable. With the solid fuel, once you ignite it, there's no way to stop it unless you were to somehow flash freeze it, which is mm. obviously difficult to do right. on a rocket. And so liquids just give you a lot more kind of fine control. I think they do have higher energy density and... Yeah, you can you can shut them off when you when you are done burning, and so that's I think the main reason why they're used a lot in industry. All of the engines on SpaceX's rockets are liquid fueled. Most of the engines on the space shuttle are also liquid fueled, but the two boosters that are on the side those are actually solid fueled. So I think like a good way of thinking about like liquid fuel versus solid fuels. Like liquid fuel is kind of like a firework, you know, like you ignite it, and it goes off. But but a solid fu- or sorry, a liquid fuel is. It's more like a like a car, like an engine, you know, like you you put fuel in the tank and then you start the engine and it will burn for as long as you have fuel available for it to consume. Yeah, and one of the advantages there is uh, SpaceX leverages is landing because you could turn mm. the engine on and then to when land. you're in flight, yes, yes, you could turn the engine on and then mid-flight you can turn them off, reorient your, reorient your vehicle, mm. wait a little bit for that booster to fall down and then reignite it and have it land. So it's quite convenient. And I think the reason why we we think that the work we're doing is so important is because all the technology and in industry uses liquids mm-hmm. or much of the technology. So you've got all these like engineers coming into UIUC who want to work in the mm-hmm. launch industry, mm-hmm. work for these companies like SpaceX and NASA. And there's no place on campus to get experience with liquid liquid system or liquid systems. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can work with solids, but that's not the same thing because there's so many different problems that come with liquid systems. You know, you're using cryogenic cold temperature fluids mm. uh, at high pressure. So there's like a whole, uh, there's a lot of extra work that goes into it. Uh, mm. And if you get that experience, you know, before you go into industry, that's super valuable because like, you know, the space of all the possible things that you like, how, what a design might look like mm-hmm. and you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why it's important and why, like, you know, why we thought it was important to start this in the first place. Cause there was student space systems. They were working on liquid uh, liquid engines. I was mm. actually part of that like freshman year. Mm. Then they uh, sort of sort of collapsed, turned into thrust. They haven't been doing much for for many reasons. Um, so we thought you know there has to be something here, some place where people can go to to work on this stuff. Mm. Yeah, so. I want to focus on what you just talked about starting the organization. What were some of the initial goals that came with that? Obviously, now you know you can see the link between what's going on with the organization and what you're going to do in the future. What did you think um, the goals were back then when you started? So the initial <laughs> goal when we started the organization, like we have been thinking about this kind of from the start, right? So we're both very excited about space exploration, kind of the things SpaceX has been doing to uh, get humanity ready to go to Mars. And so we kind of thought like, well, like what are the constraints that are preventing this from happening more quickly? One of those constraints is that there aren't that many people who have the knowledge they need to go and contribute to this kind of effort. Like, well, we can address this by creating like a really good club here on campus where people are excited to learn about liquid rocketry and just like kind of naturally gain that experience through osmosis. So that was that was kind of the initial like meta goal. Um, how how that looked like more concretely was we we just had a an extreme focus on producing hardware. So rather than, you know, r- running a whole bunch of analyses and stuff on our engine to get something that performed really well, it was super efficient and, 
you know, had all the bells and whistles, we asked ourselves the question, what's the dumbest engine that we could make that we will fire? And like, what are like the dumbest requirements that we can set so that we can go through a design process kind of from concept to execution and, and learn at least like, like an, like get an initial understanding of like what the whole process looks like. And so that was, that was how we came up with the idea for our first engine. It's very simple. It only burns for half a second. Uh, it has the simplest injector geometry. It has a very simple combustion chamber, no cooling or anything like that. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's a very, very, very simple engine. And that's called Grunt? That's Grunt. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's why it's called Grunt. Yeah, like the- <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's just like a little grunt of flame that comes out of it. But I like to believe that it was because of the Halo reference, the, the Grunt <laughs> Halo. So we've been naming our uh, our things after Halo stuff recently. <laughs> Even though I never played it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. th- that was the general idea is just like, you know, like let, let's, you know, let's not focus on making something super fancy. Let's just focus on making something, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, and I think it was definitely the right approach because we got a little bit of experience with design, mm-hmm. a little bit of experience with manufacturing, a lot of experience with logistics, and a lot of experience <laughs> with like actually figuring out how to pay for something like this. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, and, and the thing is, like, once you have hardware, you know, like, other engineers, like, they see that. And they're like, whoa, these guys have hardware. Like, like you, like you can be like, hey, come to our workspace. Super tangible. Out, yeah, check out our literal rocket engine that we right. built. Right. Um, and people got excited about that, and it really helped mm. us this year, you mm. know, when we were trying to find more talented people to come on and help us build the test stamp. Mm. So that was last year, the beginning of last year, you started making Grunt? That yeah. was when the organization was formed at the beginning of your guys' junior year? Oh, no, yeah. that was almost two years ago at this point. Because uh, yeah. we started in July, like, yeah, yeah. two oh, years okay. ago. Yeah. Over the summer. Yeah, it was uh, yeah. it was kind of a crazy story because, like, mm. uh, Ian and I, we, like, after after kind of deciding that we had to go do our own thing, I think it was, like, I was in Yellowstone at that point. Um, no, a couple days before. We we decided to, like, okay, go for it. We're going to make this, this team. Mm-hmm. And it was just us mm-hmm. two. And so... While I was in Yellowstone, like I was communicating with Ian and we were just like drawing conceptual drawings of like what an engine might look like, trying to get CAD down or mm. like a design down on a computer as fast as possible. Okay. Uh, so we could iterate for it because we can't iterate mm. uh, on design explosively like SpaceX might because we just have the cash. <laughs> we, can't, we can't do that. So what we do is we try to iterate through design as fast as possible and try to blow up the design sort of in, in quotations mm. by talking with mentors and people who know more about it. So like, hey, this is the CAD we made vibe check it like how does mm-hmm. it look uh and they'll ask us some questions and we'll move on to the next design so that's kind of how we started and we we were pretty vicious about it like we tried to go through it as fast as we could okay got it that's your one of your slogans right is iterate to the moon i think and iterate Are, to the stars iterate yeah. to the stars yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome jumping off that what was the when you started to design it how long does it take to design something in a cad software like when you start to design a rocket engine were you guys basing that off of pre-existing rocket engines that yeah. you saw or yeah what did that look like Pretty much. We we looked at other people's designs and sort of like got ideas for how things might look. And instead of, it, it could be as fast, it could be quite fast or it could be really long depending on how you do it. So, I mean, Ian mentioned that like we didn't run any analyses. Um, you could spend a while like designing complex geometries inside your engine, mm-hmm. or you could sort of stick to the basics, stick to the principles and design features sort of qualitatively initially. Okay. And then yeah. later you could sort of hone in a certain dimensions, like for example, how big the the uh, orifices are on your injector, like these holes that provide propellant flow in your combustion chamber. Mm. They're like simple analytical equations you can use to sort of like hone that in. So mm. the way that we did it was we opened up CAD and we saw, all right, like we have a general idea of how this, for example, injector 
of a rocket engine might look like. Okay. And then we said, let's just draw like a conceptual thing, sort of uh, don't worry about dimensions, put it down in CAD, and then like a day later, you're done. And then you look at it, you sort of figure out, all right, what can you do in this in this design? Oh, we have to des- we have to size this particular feature. How are we going to connect this with the rest of the system? Mm. So you go to like piece by piece from there. You don't know how to do these things initially, but you can right. think of these questions as you go. Mm-hmm. So uh, it could be fast or it could be really long. Some people can take like weeks until they have like actual design in CAD done, ready to be manufactured. Right. How many pieces go into a rocket engine? Is there, looking at Grunt online, it looked like you guys kind of split it apart. It looked like there was maybe like one or two or three main pieces in it. Is it a pretty solid piece of metal that you guys have hollowed out or what exactly does a rocket engine look like at a, at a simple level like that go for it. i'll tell the story about the car thing uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so grunts three three pieces and i think i think most rocket engines are three main pieces i mean like they're two sub-assemblies so there's the injector okay the injector is the part that like mixes the fuel and the oxidizer oxidizer right so hmm. in, in to, to have like a fire right you need fuel you need oxygen, you need a heat source, mm-hmm. right? In space, you don't have oxygen, you don't have air. Mm. So you have to bring that oxygen with you. And so what the rocket engine does is it takes it takes the fuel and the oxygen and it mixes them together mm. and then combusts them. So the injector is the part that like mixes them together. Then the combustion chamber is the part that contains that reaction and then channels it through the nozzle. Mm. Um, and essentially the combustion chambers was like where you would integrate your cooling system if you're burning for longer than half a second. And uh, yeah, just like 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 where you'd have that nozzle geometry that accelerates that gas to a high velocity. So yeah, those are the those are the main components. Um, yeah, as far as like how we manufacture them, yeah, it's mostly just like sticking sticking them on a lathe, drilling the holes at the angles that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's like a lot. There's a lot of thought that goes into the manufacturing. You know. And a lot of lessons learned from the grunt, grunt yeah, side of absolutely. things. Yeah. <laughs> what were some of those uh, lessons? Oh, man. Well, our combustion chamber doesn't have any uh, active cooling or uh, mm-hmm. any kind of like mechanism for cooling. So what we did was we just made it as thick as possible okay. uh, out of metal, uh, okay. thinking that that would be easiest. But it wasn't logistically. It was a nightmare because like it's uh, the actual piece of metal that we had to get was like nine inches in diameter or like okay. eight inches in diameter and then maybe like a foot and a half long. So it was huge and super heavy. Mm. Uh, and we ordered it from like this one metal supplier uh, up north in Rockford, Illinois. Mm. So I was like, all right, I was super naive thinking, all right, we're going to save on some shipping. I'll go home. I'll drive out there. I'll pick it up and then get back to U of I. Okay. And I did it without thinking about like what that would actually look like. So I hopped in my mom's Nissan Rogue and drove over like an hour and a half to this supplier. And mm. of course they have it on a pallet because we also got a piece of stainless steel for our injector and like this thing total weighed like 300 pounds. So they had I'm to get... imagining the Nissan's trunk hitting the yeah, ground. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. They had to load it in with a forklift. So, um, and it barely fit. So, you know, I was hauling it back home. I'm like, holy shit, this is this is stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably like wasted a bunch of money on gas. It, it, it would have turned out to be the same cost if we just had it shipped. Ah, okay. uh, and even worse, how do you take it out? Because the weighs 300 pounds, and like we can't drag it across the back because we've got like a rubber mat inside the car. So, I had to go. I had to take my mom's car. My dad had to drive uh, our like sort of family car over to Home Depot. I had to ask one of my coworkers that I used to work with in the past to grab a forklift, take it out of the Rogue, put it into my car. In the same, and that same morning, I drove that car back here. Back here at U of I, I had a massive problem trying to find parking. So it was just <laughs> a nightmare and a half, like two days of just trying to figure out where to park this thing, how to carry it and whatnot. We drop it off at the, the shop and... <laughs> 
I remember seeing the, the machinist's face, and he's like, what were you doing? <laughs> How did you do this? Um, it was just a hassle. You know, we made a lot of mistakes. We thought that we would be making something simple, but we ended up kind of making it really hard for ourselves. Mm. We didn't know at the time. So. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. We could have just gotten, like, like we, we milled out a nozzle geometry from this nine-inch thick piece of steel that weighed 300 pounds. That's why. But in hindsight, what we could have done, since we're only burning for half a second, is we could have just, like, like gotten a piece of sheet metal, like, made our flange out of that, and then taken a piece of tubing and welded it to that piece of sheet metal and would have cost 40 bucks and it would have, t- like, when weighed way less... Uh, and, and, and like we would have learned, like, like we would have learned how to weld, like do all of this other stuff. So what was your cost for the other one? Um, well, we got it made, we got it machined for free. If we Mm. hadn't gotten it machined for free, it probably would have cost $2,000. And like the true cost for manufacturing that, like, even though we, we were lucky enough to get it made for free was just the time that it took to machine it down. Like it took, I think from, from the time that. We loaded it into the back of Bart's Nissan Rogue to the time we actually had a a, a complete combustion chamber. It must have been That's six months. months. Yeah, yeah, it was a long time. Yeah, and there okay. were all sorts of delays. We we found cracks in the first one, so we had to get we actually had to get another another piece of round stock. Uh, you know, and it's like all of these problems would have been avoided. We just used a piece of tubing, a piece of sheet metal. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, huh. it's like. Good lesson though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so important to like 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 one thing I've realized about engineering is that a lot of it comes down to just knowing like what options are available to you, you know? And not being afraid to to create something new. Like we yeah. were so afraid I think we were afraid of being innovative before mm. and doing different things because we were trying to look at the like, you know, simplest options and we just didn't know what the option like what the options were in the first place. Mm-hmm. So uh there are ways that you could use resources you've got near you to to maybe like create a new design out of uh, mm. you know the tools available to you. So, um, uh, yeah, you can't be afraid to innovate, uh, even if you're trying to move fast. So it sounds like it was pretty expensive. What does funding look like for you guys, or how do you generate enough money to buy these things? So we got seven thousand dollars from NASA, and then we got seven thousand dollars from a. Fraternity. (laughs) 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 How did both of them go down? (laughs) Surprisingly easy, actually. (laughs) Yeah, we just kind of like walk. Well, with NASA, we just walked into like that. Like they they have an office here. Like it's kind of like a student coordination office. (laughs) And we just walked in Granger area. Um, in the aerospace building. Yeah, it's like it's called the Space Grant Consortium. (laughs) And yeah, we just walked in. We know they given money to other other organizations on campus we're like hey we're building a liquid rocket engine um our design's complete like like this is mm-hmm. the other thing like if you have a cab model mm-hmm. you can just like walk into people's office and like throw the drawings on the table and be like look like this is what we got like, we're doing this right you know uh yeah so so that's what we did we like walked in uh showed her our drawings we're like like we want to do this we have a plan mm-hmm. we we're originally going to test it out at purdue you know, mm-hmm. we have like their blessing, you know, like all we need is the money and it'll happen. Right. And I think she was pretty excited about that. And so, so yeah, we like submitted our application and a couple, couple weeks later, we got $7,000 uh, from them. Nice. But the fraternity, we had two members. Uh, the fraternity was Alpha Delta Phi. Uh, 
and two of their members were in our in our in our club and they, they had a scholarship program for you know brothers in their fraternity who were doing cool things mm. furthering their education and so yeah one of them filled filled out this uh the application for that funding on their behalf and uh, yeah yeah we got we ended up getting like seven thousand five hundred dollars from them which was just absolutely insane but, that is insane that's crazy um yeah I sometimes I sometimes feel like it was a blessing and a curse just because you know when you get that much money it doesn't you, you don't you're not forced to think critically about hmm. uh, about how to build build your build, build your things cheaply like maybe we would have found those you know manufacturing like the poor manufacturing for a combustion chamber more quickly if we had um, been forced to innovate a little bit more right um but yeah I mean it's still it's still good like because it was it was money and it let us get to get the program to the next phase you know mm-hmm. and it really helps your credibility when you have fourteen thousand dollars in the bank cool then moving on to i guess how did you guys apply the lessons from grunt moving forward like what is the newest rocket engine that you guys are working on and how did the test stand come into that question mm, so question. yeah the test stand came about um I'll, I'll do the test stand first uh the test stand came about last summer uh we had a uh, we had a lot of conversations about what where we should take the project uh, next because mm-hmm. we had built Grunt. Mm-hmm. We were at the time assuming that we were going to test it at Purdue, but we're thinking, mm-hmm. okay, we want to grow this organization, make it bigger. Just can't be like you know four or five of us. Mm-hmm. So what's the next thing? Um, and the way that we approached that problem was thinking about what we really wanted to solve on campus. And the problem that we wanted to solve was the presence of liquid rocket technology here. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you increase that presence? And we had two options: either design a flight vehicle. Uh, which is like the cooler route technically, mm-hmm. um, or build a test stand to test more engines. Okay. Um, so we were thinking uh, at the time we started realizing that it was really difficult to organize logistics with Purdue because that's the place where we wanted to test. There's no infrastructure here to do any testing. Mm. And I would say that like the inf- in the infrastructure you need to test a rocket engine is probably like 70, 80% of the work, time and money. Mm. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, okay, like the n- next logical conclusion was, all right, well, we'll, do th- we'll build a test stand in order to increase the rate of testing here at U of I. So we could take that test stand, have it be mobile or something, drive it out to a test site, mm. and just test the engines over and over again to increase the speed between, or the time, decrease the time between iteration cycles. Iterate to the stars, right? Exactly, mm. right, yeah. So uh, during the summer, we, we decided to go for it. We took on a bunch of new people, uh, some people that previously worked at SpaceX, worked on mm. uh, propulsion systems, and we went after it. So, mm. um, but uh in terms of lessons learned, well, I mean, manufacturing, obviously. Uh, I think the biggest lesson that we learned was to question design and question what you are doing much more. Hmm. Uh, the reason, or the way that they ca- that came about, was when we started to really introduce ourselves into like the rocket community in the nation. Hmm. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of teams like us out there. Hmm. Uh, a lot of people at different clubs who are doing the same thing who had to learn how to how to do these things for for cheap. Mm-hmm. And also went through things and realized that you can do things for quite cheap with materials that aren't necessarily recommended by NASA. Right. But, uh, you know, it's still possible and it's still okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and what that does is it decreases your price dramatically. Like, for example, one of the big problems that we, uh, one of the things that we, um, one of the decisions that we made was switching from stainless steel tubing to aluminum tubing. Uh, and that saved us a lot of money. People don't recommend you use aluminum with liquid oxygen systems because it's more corrosive. Mm. But uh, people have done it before. 
And it's just kind of a thing that you hear from industry. People say, okay, you shouldn't, you, you shouldn't use aluminum because the risk is higher. But how much higher? You don't know mm -hmm. until you go and test it and see. Mm -hmm. I have to make sure that like you can you manage that risk and you're away from the system uh, if anything does happen. But you make these kind of small decisions here and there mm -hmm. uh, and only really follow the basic principles like uh, in sizing uh, and you can save a lot of money. So one of the big things also, let's talk about the solenoids that we uh, that we uh, recently had a problem with. We we bought these like solenoid valves, which open and close lines. And okay. you can uh, get really expensive ones or you can get really cheap ones. Mm -hmm. The only really only thing that you really have to do with the solenoids is two basic things. Power sizing, making sure that you can open and close them. Mm -hmm. And second, making sure that enough gas can move through them to pressurize your system. You only focus on those two things and maybe like compatibility, but don't buy crazy expensive stainless steel uh, solenoid valves if you don't need to. Right. So, um, and a lot of this advice kind of is accrued over time when you talk with people from from the nation, from other teams. They just say like, all right, you shouldn't, you're spending too much money here. You could hmm. you could uh, go with something cheaper. And literally they're just like, they'll send you a part, like a part that you can use. Hmm. So, um, questioning and then also being open to, uh, before you do design, talking with people about their experiences. Because people have done this stuff before and they, they've learned. So were you reaching out to, it was other universities, I'm guessing, other student university uh, groups? Or how do you guys go about finding people to talk to? Because uh, I think you mentioned you reached out to SpaceX also, right? That's yeah, a, that's yeah. so <laughs> back, back we, even before we started this club, I cold called SpaceX. I like, so there's this website called Rocket Reach where you can like search up random people's contact <laughs> Well named for this project. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, and yeah, I like found the SpaceX head of HR's contact information, his phone number, and <laughs> I I called it. Everything's available on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> and I I called it, and I was like, I was like, hey, uh, I'm a student at the University of Illinois. We're looking for a mentor to like help us like refine our requirements. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I figured that like they were gonna be super mad at me for calling and like you know. Like that, or or just I wasn't gonna get a response from them or anything, but then three days later, I check my voicemail, and there's a voicemail from Hawthorne, California, <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit, that's where SpaceX is based, <laughs> and yeah, I click play, and it's like, hey, like we've got a mentor for you, just like give give us a call back, like, uh, yeah, we we like. We got you covered. And I was like, what? <laughs> you could just do that. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so that's how we found our first mentor. His name is Thomas. He really helped us like simplify a lot of our, our designs. And, you know, uh, he, he was the person who really, who, he was the really the first person who pointed us in the direction of like, you know, like make hardware, like, like time, time is ticking mm -hmm. and you need to, you know, you need to like get, like get something made. Like it doesn't need to be perfect and then just get something made. Um, so yeah, found a lot of, a lot of mentors that way. Um, we also found, yeah, we, we also found mentors just through random connections. Um, we put our website together and then people started crawling out of the void and t telling us we were doing everything wrong. And, um, yeah, so found, found people that way. Then we found this discord server and this like discord server is the most nuts discord server. Like, okay. it's like this, it's this server. Where like all of like the student teams like that are actually doing stuff like is where they all talk, hmm. and and then there's just like these random SpaceX engineers, you know, like just help out on the yeah, just like <laughs> like like in this server, like Whoa. you know, like just 
memeing and like you know saying, like, <laughs> like, like just like talking about super esoteric engineering stuff and right. um yeah so it was just like this community of it's like this hive mind of people mm-hmm. you know know so much about how to do things in a really like cursed but cheap way <laughs> and uh yeah so they so now, like, whenever we have, like, a question, we'll oftentimes just go to that Discord server just to be like, hey, like, you know, is this safe? Like, yes or this... no. <laughs> yeah. They're like, like, no, okay. <laughs> uh, provide alternatives. All right, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that, the r slash rocketry Discord server, for any any of you listening who want to want to learn how to build rocket engines from from the best, best folks in town, go to r slash rocketry Discord server. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> yeah, then continuing on with the train of SpaceX, what is the future of space travel? What does that look like? Or what? at least what do you guys think? Oh, man. There's a big push to get back to the moon right now and ultimately Mars. I'd say the moon first because NASA is going to be working with SpaceX to begin landing hardware and people on the moon within the next, I would say, five to ten years. What's the purpose of that? Just establish a long-term presence, okay. you know, to continue scientific exploration. Mm-hmm. And also to, uh, I mean, open up new avenues, new opportunities of, of whatever they whatever they want to do out there in my, in uh, low gravity environments. So there's a, there are a lot of advantages to being on the moon. One because it's it's mm-hmm. there's a the the gravitational field is not as strong, so you could it's it's quite easy to get off of off of the moon and also mm-hmm. on, um, or off of the moon. So they've got this whole plan going right now where it's going to be a like a in tandem approach. SpaceX is going to be providing the heavy lift vehicle to bring stuff down to Mars. And then mm-hmm. NASA is going to be providing the rocket that takes people to the moon to meet with the ro- SpaceX's rocket to bring mm-hmm. people down and hardware down. I would say that's probably the most exciting thing to happen in the next five to 10 years. I'm super excited, excited about it because like haven't been there in so long and we're mm-hmm. finally going back. But in terms of technology, I mean, the big stuff I would say is obviously like the, the advent of landing, propulsive landing, reusing your rockets. Uh, it's a lot cheaper. Space travel is a lot cheaper now. Mm. And um, it's it's easier to, or it's it's more now space is more accessible to people. Well, maybe not yet, people, <laughs> but uh, not us. Yeah, yeah not, not us yet. <laughs> not us yet. Maybe soon. But uh, definitely, like organizations that are trying to send up like small sats, cube sats. Cube sats meaning like cube satellites. Yeah, small satellites. Yeah, like yeah, small yeah. things uh, mm-hmm. for you know some research organization at some university can now afford to send satellites uh, into into like low Earth orbit, right. which is awesome. Like we got Lassie on campus in the aerospace building they're building cubesats and they uh i think they just uh, ride shared on falcon um yeah i i can't remember if they delayed or th- yeah maybe they did maybe they did just ride share there was a uh, i'm not sure if that's what it was but, but I, I know that they were person. talking that the, 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 there was a possibility to use the falcon 9 to take up their satellite to and that was the most orbit. recent uh spacex launch no 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 this was uh i believe a few years uh, a year or two ago i forgot exactly oh, okay. One. Oh, oh okay yeah yeah that yeah one, that one yeah that was a while ago yeah but you know obviously mars is in the picture mm-hmm. uh once you kind of start to practice practice two different environments but yeah practice nonetheless um to get down to the moon you can start to move look a little forward um to, to mars and different engineering problems entirely but you know i think a, a good way to sum it up is moving more stuff up there more tonnage uh, and more people, so it's going to start infrastructure people. Yes, yes, mm. exactly. There's a lot of stuff down the pipeline, like nuclear engines that other people are mm. developing, and those could be pretty promising. And there might be some stuff confidential somewhere, people <laughs> doing things, you know, Area warp, 51 warp drives and whatnot. <laughs> uh, so, what is then the incentive to go to Mars? Like, why would we want to go to Mars in the first place? Resources is like the first thing that comes to mind, uh, and I think there's like the science fiction concepts of colonization and 
things along those lines. Where do you guys see is like the near term incentives to go to a place like that? So, yeah, I mean, I guess just it just depends on like the way you view humanity, right? Like, like I think there's kind of two two views for humanity, and like ne- neither one of them are wrong, but I also think neither one of them are comprehensive. One of those views, right, is that humanity is like, uh, like just kind of like an incentive following, you know, dynamical system that, mm-hmm. you know, like where the economic incentives are, that's, you know, like where yeah, where we is. will go. Okay, you yeah, know, yeah. and I think that's definitely true. Like, if something is economically infeasible, it's not going to happen. Um, however, I also think that we're a bunch of really smart monkeys, and <laughs> like we we know we we can like kind of create the economic incentives for something like like a mars colonization hmm. effort to take place um there's there's this company right now uh that's actually trying to build out the in-space economy uh they're called varda space industries and their whole deal is doing in-space manufacturing so there's certain materials that cannot be manufactured on the surface of the earth because of gravity Um, And you can't do it like in a plane or anything like that. Like the only way to do it is to launch a capsule to space, make whatever you want to make, and then return it back to Earth. Mm. What's an example? So, for example, there's these – there's a couple examples. Um, The one that uh, sticks out to me is these fibers. So so they're originally going to make these fiber optic cables. Um. And the manufacturing process for these fiber optic cables required combining two molten liquids with different densities. Mm. Now, if you were going to do that on Earth, right, uh, what would happen is kind of like oil and water, right? Because right. you have two liquids that have different densities. They want to yeah. separate if you because of buoyancy forces mm. on Earth, right? But buoyancy forces, that's just like gravity. Mm. Uh, so if you do that in space, right, um, then when they're in their liquid state, like you can mix two, you can mix two liquids with different densities, right? And then they solidify, and then once it solidifies, you can bring it back, right. um, and it, it's it's fine. Like once it's solidified, it'll survive in Earth gravity. So, yeah, there's like a whole bunch of things like that. There's like some biotech stuff, like like proteins that you know fold in a different way in zero g hmm. versus in uh, it, uh like in the surface gravity of the Earth, and well, so yeah, yeah, so. Basically, they're like targeting like these very like niche and like uh, what's what's the word? I guess lucrative markets first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that they can build up this like technology uh, to create like a like a in space supply chain, you know. Right. And then once you have that, I don't know, maybe twenty thirty years, we'll be able to like capture asteroids and you know mine uh, diamonds their, and right, yeah, like convert their raw raw materials into you know, orbital like structures in low earth orbit or whatever. And then then that's great because then you don't you don't need to launch all this stuff up with Starship. Like you can instead, you know, you can instead just make a lot of the stuff in, in low earth orbit and then you just launch up like the expensive things like like your electronics or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, on on rockets. Just as so, a quick follow up there, don't want to jump down too deep of a rabbit hole, but how would you capture an asteroid? What does that look like? <laughs> yeah, I was just asteroid. trying to imagine that. <laughs> yeah, like, is yeah, it, I'm like thinking of like, massive lasso. I'm thinking of like a, like a trampoline or something. Yeah, there's, <laughs> like so, so, so there's something kind of <laughs> like that. It's like, like, like what one thing I've seen is like this idea where they kind of take like this like gigantic high tech trash bag and like, like launch it at the asteroid and the trash bag kind of like, like wraps around the asteroid. 
Hmm. And then and then you have like some thrusters that are attached to it that can change its orbital trajectory so that hmm. it like crashes can, in a... can align with Earth. Hmm. You don't want it to crash because if, if that happens, then it's just going to vaporize a whole bunch of the materials you're trying to, hmm. you know, harness. So, hmm. yeah, that's that's a hard problem. Um, and anybody who's like, you know, telling you that they're going to solve that problem, like in the next five years is trying to get your VC money. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. But, but yeah, I think, I think like what Varda's doing, like is, is pretty feasible. And, um, you know, eventually, I think eventually asteroid mining will be, will be a thing, you know, cause it's like Bart said, you know, like once we have Starship, like Starship, that's SpaceX's new rocket. Um, if it works, it's gonna lower the cost of like getting it, like like per kilogram of material to orbit. It's gonna lower that by about a hundred times. Um, and once you do that, then just the opportunities that are available for doing s- weird stuff in space really do get a lot bigger. Right. And uh, I guess a really quick question following up there, and then we'll get into kind of some concluding thoughts. Uh, what is the where can we place better economic incentives to go to space? Um, like how do we get to space in a more how do we get more people working on going to space? Have a and war. Have what? Have a war. <laughs> have a war. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> uh, that's like the classical tried and true approach, right? To, uh, you know, Cold War style. But um, you know, I, I think it's uh, what Ian's saying. Like uh, you find the lucrative parts, uh, places in business where you can bring down the cost of something or make something more accessible in. Uh, with uh, or in space and uh, so long as it's tangible um, and uh, there's a market for it or maybe there isn't a market for it maybe you you can create a market for it um, uh, that in tandem with lower uh, costs for launch uh, is it kind of it's like a beautiful sort of like web together it works together you got the incentives and then the lower cost on the uh, launch side mm-hmm. uh, that'll increase the uh, the need for for space travel uh, or launch vehicles hmm. I'd say incentives one thing um, I'd say the mm. other thing is just a a belief that this is important, mm. right? Like 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 as a society, if we decide that this is something that we want to prioritize, mm. right? Um, I, I I think that you know, like like there was no economic incentive for us to land on the moon in the 1960s, right? right? But as a society, we agreed that it was it was something important to do, right? It's like what JFK said, like you know, we choose to do this not because it's easy, but because it is hard, right? You know. And I like, I, I don't know, to me, like that, that really speaks to me. And I think it speaks to a lot of people who are working on these kinds of things, you know? So I think that it's like, you know, it's okay if like, you don't see like economic, like incentive right away. Like, like, I think there are, there is like, like intrinsic value in pursuing these things, you know? And if you just, like, if you just devote, like devote your time to working on this stuff and, you know, believe that humanity can and will spread to the stars, you know, then then the opportunities will come and we will we will find ways to like make make this make sense, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um but it's yeah, I, it will definitely require more long-term thinking. Yeah. Right? Like it's not it's not like you're going to see this in your quarterly returns right. in like a year and a half, right. right? Um but it's like having having like human civilization on two planets, right? makes us a much more resilient civilization because if a nuclear war happens on earth mm-hmm. right then you still have like a backup you know right like, that you can you know use to 
kind of rebuild after that or if like an asteroid hits or mm-hmm. gamma ray burst or like anything like there's so many like we're so fragile because right now we're basically just like one point in space right but if we can spread out into the rest of the solar system and eventually right to other star systems you know one that's super inspiring you know yeah. like mm-hmm. it's just like that's that's the that's the future i want to live in you mm-hmm. know like like that science fiction future and two it's just it's it, it's the it makes things safer for humanity like it, it just makes it makes it much less likely that the light of consciousness will be extinguished so yeah, yeah. i love that yeah i think it'll have a yeah. tremendous like impact on the health like the spiritual health of the world too mm. um i mean like i've had singular like instances with my uh like family friends where i've uh you know they they have nothing to do with space they they but they love talking about it mm. like, every time we go camping i've got this group of like kids that are like five six years younger than me and uh we'd go to the beach and like i don't know where they just ask questions about like oh hey did, did you learn anything cool about space recently and we'd like lay down and then we'd talk about stuff and it'd be kind of scary because you'd say like oh there's a void out there where the uh the higgs field like uh dropped an energy state and now everything's getting erased and they're like oh my god it's terrifying <laughs> um but like it's I, I it has a, space has an amazing way of providing this perspective on the world makes you think about things differently uh especially like uh sort of puts everything in uh it makes you realize that there are a lot of uh kind of petty petty uh petty arguments around that really don't make a lot of sense maybe biologically that makes sense but mm. it's sort of like to me it feels like a like a transcendence a transition to a higher state of consciousness if you have this like overarching view that you know life is precious mm. you don't know if there is something out there you don't you might we might be the only ones we don't see any evidence of anyone out there. Maybe we're at an early stage of biological development on a universal scale. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth protecting that because it's it's a beautiful thing. Like, uh, you know, all the bad and all the good. Right. So uh, it is kind of like a fight in a way. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's made my life better. It's it's made a it's given me a reason to wake up in the morning and feel energized a lot mm-hmm. of times. So, uh, you know, I want more people to feel that way, even if they don't do engineering or they don't do science. Yeah. So. Yeah, thanks, Sharad. You mentioned earlier in the year the phenomenon where astronauts will, when they go to space, see uh, countries or like they'll see the globe as kind of more united than it is when you're on Earth. You're kind of in a single country in the U.S. and in Russia and et cetera. And it's easy to feel disconnected from people across the globe and to, for little petty conflicts, like you're saying, to kind of propagate. Yeah. And when you get that perspective of like one Earth, one globe, one humanity, yeah. then it's kind of like unif- unifying and kind of freeing of, of and giving of perspective. Yeah, yeah. we all share the stars. Yeah, you, you share the same moon. Like you're looking at the moon, the other person across the border will always looking at the same thing. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's an amazing thing. I think it's a great yeah. way to like ground the way you think about the world as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that a lot. I guess then just to kind of move into some type of conclusion, what advice do you have for people looking to do a similar thing on campus? Summer thing or a similar thing? Similar thing. I'd say just start, you know, um, and don't, don't worry about like what you what you should be doing, you know. Just like like if you're excited about something, just like go after it and like get like get that first iteration done, you know. Mm-hmm. Because then people will see that people will get excited, right? At least the right people will, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and yeah, yeah. I'd say also like don't ask the university for permission to do stuff. <laughs> like just go and do it, you know. <laughs> uh, the risk assessment office is not your friend. Uh, they will not help you uh, <laughs> 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 um, 
so yeah i mean obviously you know like do your due diligence like don't like like don't be stupid um but yeah uh yeah just just go out there and like like just like assume like like that everybody other than the risk assessment office is your friend you know talk to professors talk to people in industry cold call spacex right <laughs> or whatever the equivalent in your industry is you know mm-hmm. um and like a lot of those interactions like maybe maybe like they don't lead anywhere but mm-hmm. the ones that do will change your life so um yeah and also like the money's out there like the money's also out there it's just you know like you got you got to find it and it's always in these like weird places like like a, like a fraternity or like <laughs> right. you know uh or or, or, or very like, weird place <laughs> yeah yeah i it, like it's like a treasure hunt you know you're like 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 picking up rocks like looking for mentors and right. like most of the time you know you're not going to find anything but like like when you do you're going to find like mentors you're going to find a thousand dollar grant opportunity mm-hmm. or you're going to find you know like a solution to the hardest problem that you're facing mm-hmm. you know so you just have to have faith that like like those solutions those solutions are out there you know yeah and it's also Absolutely. good to have like, you know, like a good friend, like working on it with you, because then, you know, whenever like I'm feeling burned out, usually like he's going crazy and then he's, you know, bogged <laughs> down with coursework or whatever. And I can pick up the slack and, you know, keep pushing things forward. So I, I'd say also like having like a good friend who you can like trust and, you know, communicate like, hey, like I'm I'm really feeling like sad today. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like just like having having that is also a huge, a huge benefit. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean on my end, uh reflecting everything that Ian said too. Uh, but I think more generally, uh just don't be afraid to try. It's quite cliche, but it's true. Uh mm-hmm. do it. Get through that first iteration. Um, and uh you can achieve very difficult problems. Like, I didn't feel initially that I had what it took to design. Uh, or to get to this point technically but it takes work and i think uh it's it's like a it's like a different you 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 feel like it's going to go a certain way uh this entire process like for a year or two creating this club designing this engine but it's going to go differently and like you you really have to sort of take it almost day by day at times Mm -hmm. and um uh you know it, it helps to look back on the work that you've done uh it gives you like a sense of pride you know proud of the work that you've done um but it is a day-by-day process and it does get uh quite like uh it can drag you down sometimes but it's um in the end like you know you've with the support network uh with with the passion if you keep going uh, you'll find solutions to even like not not only technical problems but also uh handling like uh, all these things mentally are you actually capable of doing this are you actually smart Mm -hmm. enough to do this Mm -hmm. uh people are criticizing the way we're doing it Mm -hmm. am i doing it right um and uh yeah i mean you do that you push forward day by day and and eventually out of nowhere you're like you're at a point and you're like oh shit i'm here this is it i've right. done it and we're you know we're three days out from from testing or not even we're, we're a day out from running our first test wow on uh, the newest engine on the newest engine right not the real uh like hot fire test but first mm-hmm. test nonetheless wow i'm so, excited we're excited <laughs> yeah. let's go yeah uh what is then your plans after college so we're graduating in uh, roughly, I think it's uh, six or seven days now, depending on your college. What What is your guys' plan this summer going past then uh, into the future? What are you guys thinking? Uh, I'm going to SpaceX. Um, <laughs> ended up at the first place that I started. Uh, but uh, I'm going to be working on crew starships, so I'm going to help us get back to the moon. Oh, yeah. I'd yeah. Say. Um, my plans are a little bit... <laughs> 
little bit more up in the air right now. Um, I so in the short term, I'm planning on traveling to Europe. I'm gonna spend my entire summer just you know traveling, meeting new people, uh, writing, you know, just kind of like reflecting on this whole experience. Um, I do have I do have an open offer from SpaceX, um, which I'm considering taking. Do it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So get back to me in like four days, and I, like I could I could tell you. Okay. Um, but yeah, um, definitely. Regardless of whether I accept the offer or not, like gonna continue to work on something in this space, whether so that that's you know, like high level physics, um, or nuclear propulsion or just other other things that are that are related so you got to drop the warp drive yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah let so it out you better be the one if you build a warp drive like like we just got to like be really smart and come up with new physics and you know like 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 actually actually believe that it's possible yeah and then i guess on that same topic where can people find what you're writing and follow what you guys are working on yeah um i'd say check out our website um Liquid Rocket Initiative UIUC.org. Uh, we do sometimes post uh, progress updates on our blog as well. Uh, also, we have we have our social media pages. We got a Twitter page and an Instagram page. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter? It's it's actually the same same username on Twitter and Instagram. Lick Rocket L I Q Rocket underscore UIUC uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. This was awesome. I think I'm feeling like I probably studied the wrong thing at this point. <laughs> um, but thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedules. Best of luck with the rocket moving forward. And we're excited to see kind of where that goes in the next couple of days. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Hey, are you still listening? If so, you've reached the end of the episode. As usual, you can find all of our updates on Instagram at surfacetension.pod and look for future releases on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.